But it is so good to be here. Thank you for the welcome to myself and my wife, Kim, uh, this morning. We are so thankful for your pastor, John Bean. He is a blessing to to me. We have become uh, good friends. Uh, I'll tell you a little John Bean story. Uh, He, um, first off, I think he put those dead batteries in this microphone this morning. That's, That's the kind of thing he would think of. And he doesn't know, he's, I'm getting back at him because he's go out, going out to my church and they are going to insist that he eat lunch with them. Now, you probably know John is disciplined with his diet. And we don't cook in Sardinia the way he normally likes to eat. And uh, Sardinia is a place where they don't say, how's your mom? They say, have you eaten? And they are not going to let him leave without eating some of that good cooking. So I can't wait to... Uh, Kid him about that, but he and I both have uh, been uh, exercising and, and trying to get in a little bit of shape, and um, I got to thinking I was doing pretty good and decided that he and I would run a road race together. And you know, it's, it, it has been said, if you are having a problem with pride, the Lord will bring some humbling along. And uh, I, uh, I got together with John, and we went down to a little road race in the lower part of the country, and uh, we just decided, well, we would run together at the same pace. Big mistake for me. I want you to get this picture. I, I am a jogger like, like the guy I once saw, kind of a, a heavy, short, stumpy guy. He had this black T-shirt, and in big white letters, it said, absolutely no cash on me. And that's the sort of the kind of the, the jogger I am. But uh, John, he ran at a good, stiff pace, and I was just breathing as hard and and, and it's just doing everything I could to keep up with him. And he wanted to have a conversation. And he would ask me these open-ended, deep theological questions. What do you think about blank and blank and blank? And I was like, oh, I'm for it. I'm for it. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I didn't never praise the Lord so much to get through that thing. But uh, I am thankful for John. But even more, I, I want to say I'm thankful for your church and... And the, just what we have that is unique and special. I hope you recognize that. We live in a context where none of our churches are ever going to be mega churches. Okay? It's, it's just probably, the Lord could do it. I, I recognize that. But probably not going to happen. But through our connection, the Lord is blessing us. I hope you see that. We were at RYM last week, 23 of us. And I saw some of my friends from seminary who are youth ministers and one uh, from Clemson Press where they have a hundred active youth. Think about that for a minute. High schoolers. A hundred high schoolers. Well, they had at RYM last week about 25 or 26 and they considered that wonderful, a 25% retention. Well, we took almost the same number which is above our average turnout. Folks, that is something amazing that the Lord is doing. And that has come through our bonding together and the Lord blessing that. So I thank you. I say be encouraged. And um, again, thank you to your session for allowing me to come today. Well, before I go to God's Word, and and by the way, I do things a little differently. I do an introduction, and I know you're used to standing when we read. We will do that uh, in just a little bit. But before I do that, I want to practice something that we have been working on at Sardinia, which is scripture memory. And I know this is going to be really unusual to you, but I want to do that right now. Our text today 
Psalm 119, 17 to 32, has one key verse. It is the 18th verse. Now, we're not covering, but in the 11th verse, uh, it says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so that is saying that God's word is, is something that we are to hide as a protection, a so, sort of passive protection. But then we come to the 18th verse today, and we are told that we are to beg, to plead, to pray that God would open our eyes, that we would see wondrous things in His words. So I want you to repeat these phrases after me. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things in your law. Psalm 119, 18. Yeah, I tell the youth, you've got to know the reference. You, you keep repeating that. I, I can almost guarantee you the Lord will bless you personally and probably open the door for you to share that with someone. Scripture memory, it is a credible blessing. Well, how perceptive are you? How well do you see? Are you aware of what is going on around you in your environment? Or better asked, when you get into difficulties, when circumstances crowd in, where do you look for comfort, for direction? That's what we're going to be considering today. And my supposition, or presupposition, is that we should go to God's Word where, as we just said, wondrous things are promised. It's as if there are treasures, the promise of treasures there. Dr. John Piper illustrates this, saying, Imagine if your Bible had four pages somewhere in in Scripture that were gold leaf, 24-karat gold, and you were given just ten seconds to find those pages. You would probably ransack your Bible looking for them. And, And that is the call today, that we would see God's Word as a containment of God's promises, that we would dig for them and dig expecting great blessings. Well, I want to uh, give you one more image today. The, the text we're going to be looking at speaks of a traveler, a pilgrim, or a sojourner. And I want you to imagine being on high ground. I know around here things are very level, but imagine being on high ground and looking way into the distance and seeing a great mountain. Though small from where you're standing, you know it's great. And below there is a valley, and you can't really see because of the ground cover, but you know there are paths, but there probably are also depths and dangers and these kind of things. Well, we who are saved, we've been lifted to some higher ground. And we are given a point of destination. That's what we're going to consider today, way in the distance. And we're to keep our eyes on it, because we're going to go down in the valley where there are depths and where there are difficulties and despair sometimes, where we need direction, where we need to be reminded of the destination. If you like to take sermon notes, three points today you can remember very easily from this text. I want you to listen for the depths. That's point number one, depth. Point number two, direction. We receive direction from God's Word. And then three, the destination. Well, if you haven't yet, pull your Bibles out or the Pew Bible, and as you're doing so, I want to point out a little Bible trivia to you. If you were to take your Bible or the Pew Bible and let it fall open in the very center, it's going to probably be open to Psalms. Now, it might be off a little bit depending on how 
large the concordance is or the index, but the center of the Bible, if you did it by chapters, is Psalm 118. If you did it by verses, Psalm 118.8 is the very center of Scripture. And that verse says, put your trust not in man but in the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. That simple thought, if we chewed on that, if we meditated on that. Now, to the left flank of the center chapter is Psalm 117, which is the shortest chapter in Scripture. That two-verse chapter begins with and ends with this book in. It says, Praise the Lord. That is the praise chapter of Scripture. And so, to, to the left flank of putting our trust in the Lord is this call to praise Him. To the right flank, Psalm 119, where we will be today, is the longest chapter in Scripture. And the whole thing is about God's Word. And I want you to notice, if you've gotten there yet, that not only is it there in the, the translation, the English translation, but the way it's laid out communicates a lot. It is the longest chapter. It's divided into 22 sections, and probably uh, each being exactly eight verses, which are more like phrases, but probably you notice some funny characters over each section. Well, those characters are the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters. The first letter is Aleph. It looks like a little X. And, and so what you don't see is every one of those verses in that first section begins with the letter Aleph. It's sort of like when we do catechisms with our kids and we help them remember the first word. The whole design of the thing is that it would be memorized, that we would carry it with us, that we would be blessed by it. And so we are all the more thankful for the way God has laid it out. Well, I want to ask that we pray now, and I'm going to ask you to silently pray. And here's what I want you to pray in your own way, if you mean it, that God would open your heart today for the verse we just memorized says, if he does not open your heart, you will not see wondrous things. And so would you silently pray that now, and I will close the prayer. And so, Lord God, I ask that you would answer these requests, that this would not be just a time of hearing a time of your servant speaking a truth, whether interesting or not, Lord, that bounces off, hearts hardened. I ask that you would break open our hearts, that you would plow in our hearts this day seeds of truth that turn us from sin, that turn us to Jesus. This can happen only by the power of your Holy Spirit, and so I ask for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let me ask you now to stand for the reading of Psalm 119. I'll be reading verses 17 through 32. This is God's Word, and so we listen with reverence and great expectation. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I am a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who stray from your commandments. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have declared my ways and you answered me. Teach me your statutes. 
Make me understand the way of your precepts, so shall I meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts from heaviness. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove from me the way of lying, and grant me your law graciously. I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I will run the course of your commandments, for you shall enlarge my heart. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Well, this past week, we, uh, as chaperones on the RYM trip, sometimes we felt a little bit like we were in valleys of uh, trial. Uh, I'm a person that likes uh, some order and some structure, and teenagers are a different species. I just, that's all I can say. I want you to imagine a hotel room, but I want you, a room the size of a hotel room, but then I want you to imagine bunks wall to wall for 13 teenage boys. And I'm telling you, it's, I've got two of them. I can say this with all seriousness. They have no idea of order. They are impervious to filth. It is just in their nature. They don't care where their clothes lie. I mean, we had we shared a bathroom, uh, all of us, and, and a shower. And they would uh, there's a little dressing area. They would uh, leave their underclothing right on the floor uh, where everybody walked in and out of the shower. They didn't matter when they got through drying off. They dropped their towels on the floor, and we would travel right on through them over and over. And I told Libby, I said. There's going to be some mothers buying new underclothing and towels next week because I am not picking that up. (laughs) And uh, I am convinced that that there will be. But, you know, we we were talking uh, later in the week. I mean, you're there with 1,600 teenagers. And if you could see them worshiping, man... You, you, will be, you, you would be excited. That many youth standing, singing their hearts out. It is amazing. It is beauty. Or, as we got together every night for our small group, to see some of them want to share their testimony. I won't embarrass her, but, but one of your own, Caroline, shared her testimony uh, one evening. And... Um, we wanted the kids to have some time together, so the adults left. I can't tell you how it went, but I can tell you that many were blessed. Think about that. High schoolers gathering to share the blessing of God one with another. That's something we could not have constructed on our own. And so, again, I am thankful. But it is also an illustration of what we're looking at today. You see, for God's kingdom to come... We don't just need to be saved on that high plateau. You know, sometimes people are saved and uh, they tell me, uh, Preacher, I just want to stay in that just joy and emotion of of salvation. Well, guess what? That's not the, the life of a disciple. A disciple comes down off the high ground and follows the rabbi. We follow the rabbi. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's called sanctification, growing in Christ. And guess what? We are prone to wonder... We're prone to look to the left and the right, and we get off course. We need to be drawn back. And so today, as we look at the depths, and we look at the direction and the destination, be reminded that God is aware of the struggles that we have. 
In fact, that's one thing I love about the Psalms is you see the real and the raw emotions that all of us experience. God knows. And if we trust Him and His providence in it, He will direct us out of those depths and with the destination in mind, draw us to Himself. Well, what is a valley? What is depth for a Christian? I want to start with that today. And I think the best definition is in Ephesians 4. There Paul is explaining to the church at Ephesus a a warning to not walk as the world walks. Now think about that for a minute. What is discernibly different about you? If your friends, expanded family, your neighbors look at you, what would they say is different about you from your unbelieving neighbors that pay their taxes and cut their grass and are generally uh, uh, law-abiding citizens? What is different? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 4, do not walk as the Gentiles, which is a way of saying do not walk as unbelievers. So point number one, we, we know we're supposed to be different. He says, they walk in the futility of their mind. In other words, they think they know where they're going, but they don't. Understand that their hearts are darkened. They are alienated, he goes on to say. What he's saying is, they're not even looking at the world right. They think they've got it all figured out. But there's a king on the throne of their heart, and it's probably me, myself, and I. And so... We are not to walk as the world walks. We're going to walk ourselves into valleys if we do. Now, in our text today, I'm just going to pull out a few of these valleys that are made clear. There are many. Um, The first is rebuke of pride, or I could just say pride. Verse 21, the psalmist says, I've been rebuked of pride. Now, I tell you, I, I could give personal testimony, but I wouldn't get us out on time if I did, of how God has blessed me by showing me my pride. I've got a verse in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I encourage you to look at it. Every time, uh, I've gone to that verse probably ten times and written down dates when the Lord has needed to correct my self-righteousness. I was away with some of your folks here, Anna Kate being one of them, on the Palmer Home Mission Trip. And we were away serving. Again, by the way, another time when we came together and did something powerful. We were the biggest group to go to the Palmer Home this year because our five churches in that case came together. But I was away on this spiritual time, and I had a little trial. Somebody in our church was at life's end. I didn't know what to do. If I wanted to be back home with them, but... I couldn't because it just the logistics were, were very hard. And some of the little things, circumstances, became a frustration to me. And I spoke intemperately to a brother. And I knew in my heart immediately. And, and I, I just went and sat down and looked at God's Word. And the Spirit showed me my self-righteousness. And I got to, not had to, I got to confess. You see, that is the blessing for us to confess sin and follow Jesus. And here the psalmist is saying, I was rebuked of pride. Pride is is a curse. Self-righteousness is a curse. And some of us are too quick to wrap it around us. On our side of the swamp, I probably told you this before, many men take pride in grudges. I told you about the, the, the man that told me with just all the confidence in the world that I don't think you're a real man unless you can hold a grudge for seven years. 
It's, all, it's, it's some idea that he who goes to the grave with the most grudges wins. You know, I am going to be right and I'm going to punish those who are not in agreement with me. Oh, friends. Listen, that damages families, expanded families. It damages communities. It damages churches. If there's a brother or sister sitting across the aisle from you this morning, be blessed. Go and repent to them. Turn from that. You see what he says here? He says it is a curse. And that God's goodness, His wonder, comes in the forgiveness and mercy. We are to break the curse of unforgiveness. Now, another valley here mentioned in verse 22 is reproach. That word means scorn. And contempt, that word means insult. Insults, maybe. How many of you ever become aware of a gossip that was an insult? Becoming aware that someone has said something unkind about you. Gosh, can anything hurt more? Ah, the wound... How do you respond? Do you attack back? Well, they shouldn't talk. Who are they to talk? Notice in verse 25, he says this is a deep soul hurt. So deep. Have you ever been to that point where you're just ready to throw your arms up and say, I forget it, I'm done, I- I'm just over, I-, I can't handle it, I'm empty The Lord knows. He understands that there are times we feel that way. And He says, you're in a valley. You're in the depth. You need direction. What is direction? It is transformation. And so point number two, direction is to be transformed. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says that beholding as in a mirror glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. By the Spirit of the Lord. Now that happens by His Word. That's what we learn with these teenagers this week, is the connection between fullness of life. We ask the teenagers, what would fullness of life look like? And they kind of, uh, well, you know, if I met all my goals, and if I, if I accomplished this thing and that thing. Well, what we learn was that God's Word is where we gain fullness. 2 Timothy 3.16 It's God-breathed. It's His love letter to you where we are corrected. We are rebuked. We're trained in righteousness. And so, direction is to desire to be transformed to the likeness of our Savior. Verse 18 says, open my eyes. We have to acknowledge that we cannot do this. The psalmist is saying, I can't open my eyes and find my way out. And we are so prone today to say, I got this. I got it. I got it. And, and uh, Jesus is going to kind of be my emergency uh, plan, you know. I, I heard a uh, pastor illustrate it this way. It's like we are going through life trying to row upstream and fighting as hard as we can. And, and, and there's a dock, and, and we, we put Jesus on the dock. And, and, and we want Jesus, we, Jesus, you stay right there now. And don't leave that dock because I may need you. I'm, I may need you to get in the boat with me for a little while. And he gets in the boat and things calm down and we... Pull back up to the dock. You can get out now, Jesus. I got this. The psalmist says, no, open my eyes because I cannot on my own understand. He knows there are wondrous things, but he needs the Spirit to open his eyes. Are you praying this prayer? Are you asking God to make you understand? 
Well, then he says, meditate when you feel that twinge of guilt, that anger, that bitterness. Meditate is to chew on God's Word, asking Him to reveal His will to you. And then he, verse 27, says, It will protect you from deceit, from lying. I have declared my ways. Look at verse 26. He's, the, the psalmist is saying, I have broadcast my will, but God, you answered me. Now, would you teach me? Would you train me in this? Would you help me to walk in it? Well, how do we get out? Uh, we are to not imitate what is evil. We are to imitate Christ Jesus. Uh, John Piper, again, gives a wonderful illustration saying, imagine you were blind and you prayed asking God to reveal to you the glory of the Grand Canyon. Imagine you wanted to see the glory of the Grand Canyon and God said, all right, I'll open your eyes. Now, if he was going to do that, it wouldn't make sense to move from Arizona to Florida, would it? Because if you're in the Everglades of Florida, it doesn't matter how much you pray or how many times you go to church, you're not going to see the glory of the Grand Canyon. Likewise, for us, God connects our minds to the work of His Spirit. He is saying that you must come to my word, where I will open to you the bounty of wondrous things. So, where are you going? Where are you going? Have you thought about it? The little children's story, Alice in Wonderland, has a scene where Alice comes to a crossroads. It's sort of a Y and and sitting on top of a sign, there's a sign with two arrows pointing each way. There's a Cheshire cat. And Alice says to the Cheshire cat, which way should I go? And the cat says, depends a good deal on where you want to go. And Alice says, I don't much care where. And the cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. So, friends, if you don't have a destination, if you don't have a vision of Christ Jesus and His will for you, which is communion with Him. That's what we're doing. We're preparing for eternal communion with Christ. That's our destination. This life is but a breath. It's a vapor. And as we walk following the rabbi, we are de dependent on Him, preparing for eternity with Him. Communion with our Father. What a wonderful promise. Well, I want to close with a little picture of the beauty and grace of communion with our Lord. When we were at the Palmer home, we would gather each night after a day of serving, a day of praying. And as we gathered, we would do a little debrief. And the first night we uh, gathered for that uh, debrief, I asked some of the first-timers, uh, people who had been there for the first time, like John and Ann and Kate, what were you... What, what was a surprise to you? What was a real surprise? Well, one little girl, I say little, she's 18, uh, she said the smell. And we thought, the smell? What, what do you mean? She said, yeah, there's something in the bathroom here that reminds me of my childhood. Now, this little girl had been an orphan herself in the Ukraine. And there was some kind of, I guess the cleaner was similar, maybe, I don't know, something in there connected and took her back. And she said, when we were in the Ukraine... Uh, we, would, we would get showers, uh, you know, maybe once a week, and, and it was uh, a bad thing. You know, we would be ushered one at a time under this high-pressure water, and then we'd be scrubbed real hard, and we, we, were just, we always were afraid of it. We, we didn't like it. And then one day, when she was four, she was adopted by a local family, a family that is in Alkalu. And that family brought her home, and they filled a bathtub. 
She had never heard nor thought of a bath. And the, the, the mom put some bubbles in there. And she described the wonder and the joy of a bath where she could sit as long as she wanted. There were toys and bubbles. And she said, oh, my fingers wrinkled. I'd never seen it. That was the most wonderful thing. And you see, she's been given a foretaste of the joy that awaits us. Psalm 121 says, Lift your eyes and look into the hills, for that is where your help is. And Christian, I hope this day that you will set your eyes on your destination, communion with your Lord. Yes, we will walk through depths, but He provides for us direction. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for this day where we have come together to hear Your truth. I ask that for all of those here today that are walking in depths, be they physical, mental, spiritual, Lord, that they would hear your call of direction and that you would open for them the truths of your word and that that would be a direction with our eyes on you as our destination. How thankful we are this day, and we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.